Well, good morning. I'm Joel, one of the pastors, and it's good to have you here. Um, it's a beautiful day, isn't it? Did you know that it is, it's February, and we have, is it February? For real? I don't care. We have no snow outside. But tomorrow we get three feet because I said that. Um, that's what God will do to me. Um, I tell you, it's just a good day to worship. It is a good day to be with God. And we're in a series right now trying to gain a clear view of who God really is by looking at his son, Jesus Christ, and all that God is doing. And we want to have that clear view of who God is and what he's calling us to. And as we're walking through this, we're primarily looking at the first four chapters of John. Um, John chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4, and then we're going to jump in after that for about a month, looking at different perspectives for about a month, walking up to Easter of that last week, people that encountered Christ and what their view of Christ was and how God viewed them. Uh, and then we walk into a series after that called named Seven, entitled Seven, looking at the seven miracles that are found in the Gospel of John, but also the seven I Am statements. Um, that are there about who Christ really is. So we've got a lot of fun stuff mapped out. We're excited about walking through all of that with you. Um, but today, here we are, John chapter 3. Pastor Luke was here last week preaching and able to speak about John 3, and not just John 3.16. I hope, Hopefully, after looking at the story of Nicodemus two weeks ago and looking at John 3, the middle portion last week, and then even today, looking at some stuff with John the Baptist, I hope that you recognize how much beauty there is in John 3 outside of John 3.16. It is an amazing chapter for us to be able to absorb and to be able to take in. And I want to go ahead and just dive into it with you. And we're going to have a lot of class participation today. Are you good with that? Thank you, all four of you. All right, class participation. You good with that today? Awesome. Um, let's all stand up for the reading of the Word of God. I love the fact I heard this giant, yes, and that was my son. Um, so he gets ice cream for lunch. John chapter 3, 22 through 26. I want to start with just that. John chapter 3, 22 through 26. And uh, this is what it reads. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and remained there with them and was baptizing. John was also baptizing at Anan near Salem because water was plentiful there and people were coming and being baptized for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing, and all are going to him. This is the word of God. You may be seated. This is really interesting because here's John the Baptist, and, and this is significant for a variety of reasons. One, um, if you don't know, John, was, John the Baptist was killed um, for who he believed Christ to be very early. And this was during a moment where Jesus had stepped into his messianic ministry of declaring, I am Messiah, right? 
First miracle we've already seen, wedding at Cana, turning water into wine. And so here he is, he's stepping in. We talked about that just about three, four weeks ago. He's stepping in to his messianic ministry, right? And yet there's this brief period where John the Baptist is there and Jesus is doing his thing. And in the midst of all of that, here comes John the Baptist, who's been baptizing people for and in the name of Jesus. But now imagine this, downstream there's Jesus with his disciples and the disciples are baptizing. And you're going, well, it says, uh, was Jesus baptizing? We know in uh, John chapter 4 verse 2 that it tells us, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. Here's Jesus, he's still present. And John the Baptist is baptizing people in the name of Jesus Christ. And yet down the stream, there's Jesus with his disciples. And everybody's leaving John the Baptist, and they're all going to Jesus, to that camp. And so here's this Jewish guy who comes up, and he's, he's I think, kind of disguising his question in the, the idea of purification. But he's basically coming up, and he's like, hey, listen... You've been doing all this work, and now all these people are leaving you, and they're going downstream to this other guy, to Jesus and his disciples. Even your disciples are leaving to go follow Jesus. How do you feel about this? You're following me, yes? Class participation day. You're following me, yes? Because don't we live in a society, a culture that says, listen, if you've worked for something, you get the credit. Like, bring it to me. And yet here's John the Baptist. And that's what we're going to find today. Here's John the Baptist. And he lives an entire life. And he recognizes none of it's for him. And actually, that brings him joy. And so we're able to look at this. So these first four or five verses here are really setting the stage. Because Jesus has finished speaking with Nicodemus. And if you weren't here a couple weeks back, Nicodemus is this guy who is uh, a member of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, right? Um, and about 70, 72 guys there in Jerusalem. He's a member of this, and he's one of these guys who comes to Jesus at night to try to say, hey, really, who are you? And he's really buying into who Jesus is. He's not just following rules anymore. He's buying into who He's getting it, right? And Jesus looks at him and says, you must be born again. And he says it multiple times, you must be born again, you must be born again. And so now he has stepped away, and he's seeing people come to know him. And it's setting a stage for discovering who we are to be and what we're really to be about. And so they go into the Judean countryside, and people were there being baptized. And it was signifying their repentance. It was signifying that's part of what baptism does. It's what these people were doing today, right? One of the coolest stories is in the, in the first service, even, we had a couple of uh, kids, young ladies, who were being baptized. Um, and right now, they've almost formalized their adoption into a family. And I was like, this is amazing. You guys are entering two families today. Think about it. Isn't that good? And people were entering the family of God. That's what we see happening. And they're being baptized. And they're going, yes, this is a matter of me understanding the significance of me repenting and having faith in who Christ is, who Jesus really is. And it prepares us for the primary part of this passage. So here's the scene. John the Baptist is there with some followers baptizing. Jesus is downstream with some disciples. Just imagine it like this, baptizing. It triggers a dispute between John's disciples and this Jewish man. 
some dissension, some discussion possibly. The, 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 the debate, the discussion is never described, but you can imagine. And so they came and said, what's up with this? Are you okay with that guy getting all the attention? I told you class participation. So I want to ask you a question. Um, and if you agree with anything that I'm about to say, I'm going to ask that you stand up. All right, so I hope you're all ready. I hope you stretched out a little bit. All right, you're going to stand up. If you want to have a life of significance or fulfillment, I want you to stand up. If you want to have a life of influence, I want you to stand up. If you want to have a life of purpose and knowing that you impacted other people in the name of Jesus Christ, I want you to stand up. If you want to have a life that is able to point people to something greater than self. Or it didn't take much to get you guys to stand up. This is great, right? We all want to have a life of fulfillment and significance. We want to have a life of purpose. We want to have a life that influences other people. We all want that, right? That's what the world is even saying. Chase whatever you got to chase as long as you can find purpose and fulfillment. And what we are going to learn today is you cannot have a life of true fulfillment or purpose outside of the name of Jesus Christ. You cannot do it. Because what happens is even if you find it in making more money, then you, what happens is as soon as you start making more money, about six months later, you're like, if I just had a little bit more, I made another 25 grand. If I can make another 25 grand a year, and if I can make another, and it just keeps going, and all of a sudden you get a promotion, and you've been working for the promotion and promotion and over and over for six years. You finally get the promotion, and what, what happens? Within about three months, you're like, I need another promotion. Nothing's ever enough. And so if we really want to have, we're going to learn today, we're going to look at a passage, John 3, 27 specifically and following, and we're going to recognize that if we really want to live a life of purpose and joy, this is really what it's about, of joy, then we must absorb and collect the idea, the notion, believe in the fact your life will never know true fulfillment apart from Jesus. Will not happen. So today is going to force us all to ask ourselves, what are we actually investing in and what are we chasing? You may be seated. So this is John. I've already painted a picture a little bit for you. Here's this guy who comes and says, hey, are you kosher? Are you good with this happening? Your disciples, followers going over there following this guy. Are you okay with that? And so we're going to look at his response. And from his response, we're going to pull out some things that are really important. Because what John really was all about, we're going to see this, was about, he was all about elevating Jesus. Everybody say, elevating Jesus? That's what he was about. Elevating, exalting Jesus. He was all about it. His response will show us how he was about elevating Jesus and what he did and even things that we need to be doing. This is, this is going to be, there's so much application, life application for us today in this passage. So here he is. And I want to go ahead and read for you his response. So John answered him. This Jewish guy speaking about purification. Are you okay with all this happening? He says, here's John's response. A person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. 
Just that will make you go, huh. If you know everything is from heaven that is good, then it changes your view a little bit. It says, you yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is a bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. What we're going to see is that John the Baptist is a man who had so much joy in his life. And yes, joy lives in, even in the presence of hardship. Joy lives in the presence of difficulty. Joy lives in the presence of needing to persevere. Joy lives in the presence of pain and in suffering. Joy is something that you cannot remove when you live according to the fulfillment that is given through Jesus. Please hear that. And so John the Baptist is jumping in. He's like, man, my life's all about elevating Jesus. And so here's some things I want to point out to you as I walk through this passage that we learn about ourselves and who we should be or not be when it comes to elevating Jesus. Look at verse 27 and 28 again. He says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ. If you really want to elevate Jesus in your life, if that's what you believe, and by the way, that's what we're called to do. If you're a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are called to elevate Jesus. One of the things that we have to absorb first and foremost before anything else is we need to recognize that we need to know who we're not. You need to know who you're not. That's the first thing. Write down, if you please, on your worship guide. If you want to elevate Jesus, you need to know who you're not. He even calls it out for us. I am not the Christ. Here's a guy trying to, I think, cause some dissension and at least ask some pointed questions to create some ruffles right in the feathers. And all of a sudden, he's going, wait a second. You okay with this guy taking some people from you? And John the Baptist is going, no, you don't understand. My life is all about elevating him. And so that means I, know, I need to know who I am not. I'm not the Christ. John the Baptist knew that his entire purpose of life was elevating Jesus. He knew that this is what he wanted Jesus to do in his life, was to be elevated. He wasn't about elevating self. And I think that if we've grown up in the church, so many of us go and we think about it and we go, well, you know what? I know all this stuff. I've been to church before, maybe. And I know that my life is really about pointing people to Jesus. But then here's the question you have to ask yourself. Do you live that way? Right? If you step out of this place and you're all about furthering self and doing what you want to do and using scripture to try to justify what you want it to say so that you can do what you want to do, if you're all about trying to further self and how you can promote your name and your career and everything that you're doing, if that's what you're about, you're actually not living to elevate Jesus. You're using Jesus typically to elevate self. And you will never have fulfillment, purpose, and significance. You'll keep chasing for more and more and more and more you know what i'm talking about yes we've all found it to be true and so here's john the baptist he knew who he wasn't and and i think one of the questions we have to ask ourselves 
have we elevated ourselves? And I know we would never even probably communicate that, articulate that from our own mouth. But you have to ask yourself the question, have you elevated yourself too high in your own life? Do you really think you're all that? God's already done everything he needs to do to serve us. We are here to serve him. May we get the right order. So here's John the Baptist right away. He knew that he wanted to elevate Jesus. And secondly, one of the things that we know in this passage is for him to elevate Jesus, he needed to lower self. That's the second thing we have to understand. So elevating Jesus is one, one thing about it is that we need to know who we're not. We're not the Christ. But when we look at this passage, there's more to it than that. He knew that he needed to lower self, that he wasn't the bridegroom. Jesus was the bridegroom and that he was just a friend of the bridegroom and he knew this. And so he needed to lower self. You see, when it comes to elevating people in our own life and elevating different issues in our own life, we have to grasp, we have to understand there's only so much room at the top. Right? This, this isn't even space for me to try to share with Jesus. Right? It'd be if I, if I grab my buddy Jason and say, hey, why don't you come up here with me? Uh, we, we wouldn't be able to fit very well. It wouldn't happen. Right? For me to give Jesus and to make room for Jesus and his rightful place in my life, to be excited about people leaving anything near me and walking downstream to find Jesus, I need to lower self. So that Jesus can take his rightful place. And that's really hard for us to do. Right? Because we know what society, what culture tells us. Even as raising children, it tells us that we need to make sure that we chase our dreams. Anything you dream, you can make happen. You just run after it. As a believer in Jesus Christ, that is incorrect. Let me say it a little more directly. It's wrong. Please stop teaching your children that. As a follower of Jesus Christ, our responsibility is to be obedient to the word of God no matter what, even if it doesn't feel good, and to chase after him, not to chase our own self-desires, which are often rooted in selfishness and insecurity. Yes? I know that doesn't, that's not fun. It's like, wait, everybody tells me I can do whatever I want. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you're not your own anymore. You are now a new creation in Christ. Everybody says new creation, new creation, new creation. Don't forget the in Christ. And so we then give Jesus his rightful place, which means we need to lower self. So we need to know who we're not, but also we have to lower self. It speaks of this. He says, listen, I'm not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. I know I'm just, I'm just trying to prepare the soil. I'm trying to prepare the way of the Lord. That's all I'm trying to do. And he recognized this. And as a result, he says, man, this as a result of knowing who he really is and knowing who I am, I now know that my joy is now complete. In fact, it, it tells us in this passage, it says, listen, I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. He's saying, I'm the friend. As long as I know people are coming to know him, I'm pumped. 
There's nothing in John going, oh, I can't believe they're leaving me. Like, I know it's the right thing, but man, this one hurts, this one stings. No, he knew the reason he was created was to point people to Jesus. He wasn't here to gain followers. He was here to get people to follow Jesus. And we're responsible to do that in our own individual lives. To elevate Jesus. And in order to elevate Jesus, again, we need to know who we're not. We need to lower ourselves, And we also need to know our role. Know your role. Right? This goes along with understanding that you're a friend of the bridegroom. Something that I've already been referencing. Because here's John the Baptist. And he takes the conversation in a different direction. Now, even when I was speaking about a few weeks ago with Jesus' first miracle that we see in the Gospel of John. Turning water into wine. We know that at that time period, you need to remember, and culturally, we're gonna, we struggle to recognize this and to wrap our minds around this, but it was the bridegroom that was celebrated and got all the attention, not the bride. So we know here's Christ as the bridegroom. The church is the bride of Christ. And John the Baptist is putting himself as the position, in the position of, I'm just a friend of the bridegroom, and that is amazing. He's not here to hog any attention or to take any attention away from the bridegroom. He's simply there to make sure that that bridegroom is getting as much attention as possible. Right? Imagine going to a wedding today and, and you're not the bride, you're not the, uh, the groom. And so you're going, hey, you stand up in the middle of it. And even during the reception, the rehearsal, all of it. And every single bit of the way you're going, I want all the attention. No, that's not going to happen. He knew that every day, John the Baptist knew every day, he was to get up and go, hey, there's the one who needs all the attention. He just kept pointing to Jesus. He just kept pointing to Jesus. And that's what we need to be doing in every facet of our life. Our marriages should be pointing to Jesus. The way we raise our children should be pointing to Jesus. The way we engage friends should be pointing to Jesus. Real quick, I want to point out something to you. And um, one of the things I've recognized is I do, and I've told you this numerous times, that um, marriage is one of the greatest portraits of what our relationship with God should be. Right? The way we love, the way we forgive, the way we show grace, the way we show mercy, where you're excited and eager to forgive even without someone saying, I'm sorry. Right? Isn't, isn't that a portrait of the love of God? Yes. Class participation, I know that that's biblically accurate, so Yes. Another portrait of the picture of God that we have to understand is biblical friendship. You cannot have a Christ-centered friendship without Jesus being in the center of it. You can't. And so it means our friendships look different. It means you speak about Jesus often. Anybody who says they love you, anybody who says they love, they love you and they want you to be in a healthy relationship with God and yet they're too cowardice to ask you about what God's doing in your life is living in timidity and not in the courage of Jesus Christ. So your friendship should be modeling this. Pointing other people to Jesus. 
pointing other people to Jesus. And that's what John the Baptist was doing. And so he knew who he wasn't. I'm not the Christ. He knew that he needed to lower self to make room for Jesus to be elevated. And he knew his role. I'm just a friend of that guy and I'm pumped. He communicates this even more boldly in this passage where he's like, hey, listen, this is 29 and 30. John chapter 3 says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. I'm happy. I I now have fulfillment and purpose and joy. All those things that you stood and said you wanted, he now is experiencing those things because the proper person is being elevated in his life. You see the connection. And so he says, therefore, now my joy is complete. He must increase, I must decrease. Will you say, he must increase, I must decrease? One more time. What an amazing passage. Understanding that it's God's plan in our lives. Together for us to gather people in order to simply show them Jesus. He wants all of you to point people to Jesus Christ. There should, as a disciple, a follower of Jesus, there should be nothing in our life, friendships, finances, anything that isn't pointing people to Jesus. Thursday morning, I had the opportunity to fly out, went to New York to meet with some other pastors, some leaders of churches. Uh, There's a group of uh, churches there in the Manhattan, New York City area, about nearly 300 of them. And we're partnering with them to do some pretty crazy stuff that you're going to hear about in the future. Um, and it's, it's just cool how God is lining things up. But I tell you, um, we're on Long Island for a good bit of it. And as we're there on Long Island, um, let me tell you, the, the, the Italian presence is strong. And um, they fed us well. Um, Thursday and Friday, I gained 17 pounds. And um, I was like, wow, so good. Um, Dear brother, Pastor Michael out there, and uh, Pastor George, and being able to speak with them about all types of things. And one of the things I recognized, and I lived out there for a good bit, but only 2% of Long Island goes to church regularly. 2% claim Jesus. 2%. Two. Manhattan is just over 8 million people. It's one half of 1%. Okay, do the math. You got it? Done? Awesome. But man, the ones who know Jesus, they are on fire for Jesus. Like where, I mean, everybody knows, I love, I love Jesus. But even I was going, can you just stop talking for a moment? Like, like I just need to close my eyes and go be with Jesus. Like, it was like, man, they love Jesus. It was amazing. Like everything in their life was about getting Jesus here and about them doing this. 
And then I, I would think that, like, okay, that conversation was great. And they'd jump back in. No, 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 Jesus is here, and I'm this. And I would just keep going back and forth, back and forth. Back. And I'm like, wow, they love the Lord. They knew the purpose of life was to elevate Jesus. And nothing was separate from that. And so they lived a life that said, he must increase and I must decrease. Because when Jesus becomes greater in the world and I become lesser in the world, my joy increases. And we recognize that and we actually believe that. We don't just say it, we believe that. That when Jesus becomes greater and we become lesser, that our joy increases. I'm not the bridegroom, only a friend. He must increase, I must decrease. We know that joy actually comes by self getting smaller and Jesus getting taller, getting bigger. And so we're willing to lower self to elevate Jesus Christ. One translation, this is a loose translation. Um, if you've been going here for a while, you know that sometimes I might read a portion of the message, but it's just a loose translation. It's not, to me, actually scripture, like in terms of here's so we teach from the ESV, but it does make you think sometimes. And he says about John 3, 29 through 30, he says, that's why my cup is running over. This is the assigned moment for him to move into the center while I slip off to the sidelines. And Jesus was all about uh, being elevated, and John the Baptist is all about slipping off to the sidelines because he knew who needed all the attention. Like, it's truly, friends, like your marriages, your neighbors should look at your marriage and go, that's a picture of Jesus. They should look at the way you have friendships and go, man, that's a picture of Jesus. What you're not willing to do, what you are willing to do, but as we continue in this, in verse 20, 31 and following, he says, He who comes from above is above all. Amen. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Part of what you see here is that those like John the Baptist, okay, those who have encountered the Lord. Those who have met God, who have experienced his presence, one of the things that they do in order to elevate Jesus is they speak of God. They tell their story. They tell their story. It speaks about the testimony that they have received. That, that we, if you have bear witness to what... You have encountered with God. If you have seen that, that you are to speak of your testimony. That God is true. That God is present. 
And does it mean that everybody will believe? It does not believe that. But we are to tell our story. That's why we say that we are transformed followers of Jesus Christ. That that's a continual process. And so being a transformed follower of Jesus, you speak of that transformation so that others might also believe. Biblically, those who are not speaking of Christ, I would argue, have not encountered Christ. Because it's such an overwhelming thing to encounter a living, loving, forgiving, gracious, almighty, eternal God. And so you tell your story. You know who you're not. You lower self, you know your role, and you tell your story. And finally, if you look at 35 and 36 here, it's amazing to even step into this because it says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Whoever believes, please, verse 36, we'll camp out here for just a moment. Verse 36, last verse here, it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Any believers out there? Eternal life. Woo! It's a good day. Jesus loves us. No snow. Perfect life. (laughs) Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. You see, that's my fear is that so many of us are speaking the right words, but we're not living in the truth of those words. But the wrath of God remains on him. My friend, Pastor Luke, spoke of this some last week. Verse 36 is a game changer because this is what he was alluding to and this is what I'm going to speak of right now. We must understand that if your life is all about elevating Jesus, that if you really profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you believe in the Son, you have eternal life. And eternal life does not start at the end of your physical life. It begins the moment you receive Jesus Christ in your heart. Eternal life is now. Eternal life is now. And that means we're already living in a life in which we're to elevate Jesus and we are to increase Jesus and we are to decrease because the greatest joy in life is to give proper authority to the creator, to the giver of life. That is the only proper response. There is none other. And that soaks into us. Eternal life is now. It doesn't begin when we die. It begins when we accept the goodness of Jesus Christ. Wow, what freedom to be had. I don't have to live life trying to figure out 
how to elevate self. And as soon as I elevate self, I got to try to elevate myself some more so that I can still feel good. Because if I stay at the same place too long, then I feel defeated and insecure and all these other things. I don't have to worry about that human thing at all. I don't have to even comprehend all the stress and anxiety of living like that. I feel sorry for any of you who do. My job is to do this so that Christ can do this. And as soon as Christ is elevated, not Joel, all I do is get to worship some more. Oh, yeah. I would do my happy dance right now, but I would fall. (laughs) Yes. We get to elevate Jesus in all things. Live now. Elevating Jesus means we get to tell our story, and it means we get to live to the fullest, uh, fullness of life right now. Live now. Eternal life starts now. But I'd, I'd like to challenge you on a couple of things. One, um, I told you before to tell your story. I'd like to encourage you. I'd like to challenge every one of you to actually speak of Jesus this week to somebody else. And if you're inviting people to church, that's great. We're blessed with an amazing church. I am the most biased person out there, but you guys are amazing. Like, do you recognize that you guys are decently cool? Like, you're amazing. It's amazing to be able to worship together. But I want to invite you to speak to someone about what Jesus has done in your life and just say, can I tell you what God's doing in my life right now? Dr. Harris is going to have to. You're going to have to. Like, you just got, all seven feet of you just got baptized, brother. Like, that's some deep water. That's some water displacement. Like, that's amazing. Praise be to God. Right? I want to challenge you to go tell someone, speak to someone about what Jesus Christ is. Listen, there's, going to be, there's probably about 1,800, 1,900 of us here today, okay? That's pretty good. What if there's 1,900 people this week telling someone not go to church, but telling someone, let me tell you about Jesus so that he may increase, I may decrease. But this is what I would even challenge you with. We're in the midst of doing this right now. There's a, a men's conference we're having at the end of May. I believe it's May 29th, May 30th. It's a Friday night, Saturday morning. Bring every guy that you know. But we're hitting the five primary areas of life. Like everything can be summarized in five primary areas. They're right there on your worship guide. And those five areas, first, faith. Second, relationships. That's, it can be a marriage, it can be kids, it can be friends, anything. Finances. Habits, which are also spiritual disciplines. And then work or school. Right? doesn't matter what it is. Some of you are going, well, I'm out of school and I don't work. Maybe you're keeping kids. That's still work to me. Watching kids is a lot more work than coming to work, let me tell you. And so we look at that and you go, okay, how are you elevating Jesus? This is my challenge to you, is to go to a friend or a loved one today and to walk through that. Like my kids, wherever, I think they're up here. Most of them I can't, can't see very well at the glare, but we get to talk about it at lunch. How are we elevating Jesus in all five of those areas right now in our life? And if we can't tell you how we're elevating Jesus in all five of those primary areas of life, then there's something that's not right. 
How are we elevating Jesus and what we're giving to him financially? How are we elevating Jesus in our relationships? Is it something that's God-honoring? How are we elevating Jesus in our habits, right? Is it elevating Jesus to spend four hours a day watching it useless, just watching useless stuff or playing useless games? Whatever it might be. Your habits, right? Your disciplines. What you're willing to give your energy to, your time to, all of those different things. Are you giving yourself to something greater than you? Are you elevating Jesus? Are you making sure that the name of Jesus increases and you have a joy in life by decreasing? He must increase. I must decrease over and over again. There is only one name under heaven and which is worthy for every knee to bow and every tongue confess. His name is Jesus. Fulfillment, purpose, and life, having a significant life, will not exist apart from Jesus. That is what we stand for. That's called being a disciple, a follower of Jesus. So as a church, we're not here to hope that you come along one day. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, you are expected to elevate the name of Christ. That's not, oh, I hope they come along. I know they've been coming to church for 18 years. Maybe one day they'll start to recognize the love that God has for them and that they'll actually elevate Jesus. No, the moment you say yes to Jesus, you belong fully to him. If you're holding back for self, you have not understood the power of salvation for all those who believe and profess the name of Jesus Christ. Yes. That's scripture. And you're going, oh, stop, pastor, stop yelling at us. I'm not yelling at you. What I'm trying, well, maybe a little. But what I'm trying to do is make sure you understand that if you're not living a life that is elevating Jesus, there is something so much greater. And so together we elevate Jesus. Amen? God, I thank you for these friends and every part of life. May we elevate you. May we exalt you knowing that we have eternal life right now. In Christ's name.